David Jeremiah shared a story one time that stuck with me. He talked about how a young mother wanted to find a way to encourage her young son who was struggling to learn how to play the piano. And so she had a creative idea to inspire her son by taking him to a concert hall where a professional piano player, a just incredible musician, was going to play at this concert hall, so a sold-out show back when those were a thing, and you could <laughs> fill up a room. And so she was going to take her son to be inspired by this musician and just have this incredible experience. And so she goes, they're, they're down in the bottom section, and the show is going to start in a few minutes, when out of the corner of her eye, she actually sees a friend that she hasn't seen in years. And so she leans over to her son, who's already um, seated, says, okay, just stay here for one minute. I'm going to go say hi to my friend. And so she goes over, says hi, but when she comes back, to her horror, the seat is empty. Now, this little boy is just like any little boy and mischievous and thought it would be fun to explore the music hall. And so the mom is terrified, not sure where her boy is, and right then the lights go down and the curtains open. And she was frantically looking around when the crowd started laughing and cheering. And it turns out the little boy had somehow found his way onto the stage. And when the curtains pulled back, here was a little boy playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on the piano. And so the professional musician walked out onto the stage at that time, and he sits down next to the little boy, and he whispers in his ear, don't quit, keep playing. And he sits down next to the little boy, reaches around, and in one hand adds the bass, and in the other hand adds just incredible fills. And, and what's amazing is by the time that they finish the song, this musician had turned this boy's simple melody into a masterpiece. And so they stood, and the whole crowd stood and cheered, and it was an incredible moment. And that story reminds me a lot of what happens in our faith and in our lives. How many of us are like that little boy when we try to live out our faith? Just our simple melodies. We don't quite know what we're doing we maybe even stumbled into where we are today. But yet, isn't it amazing that we have a God who looks at us and can take our simple melodies and turn them into masterpieces? I just picture right now people in this room, people watching online who are going through a difficult time, are trying their best, and they're not thinking their life sounds right. But I want to encourage you this morning that God is willing to sit down next to you and is whispering into your ear, don't quit, keep playing. Our series is entitled Adventurous Life. We've talked about how we have been made for more. Being a Christian is not only about just attending a service one hour a week and maybe giving some stuff away. That's part of it, but a holistic adventurous life is one lived in faith and one lived for God. And God wants us to have a wild and adventurous life. And so today I want to talk to you about the connection between natural effort and supernatural power. 
And our message today is simply entitled Spiritual Workout. Spiritual Workout. Now, I hope some of you came in your workout clothes today because I want everyone to... No, okay, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Do I look like I've been working out? No. Okay. I need to. Uh, Some of you nodded way too hard at that, that I need to. I don't appreciate that, but... No, it's spiritual workout. We, we understand what it takes to have a physical workout, but I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking about what does it mean to have a true spiritual workout? What is that connection between human effort and the sovereignty and the power of God? So if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2. And if you take notes, I want you to write down this truth. Daily obedience leads to lasting significance. Daily obedience leads to lasting significance. We're walking through the book of Philippians, and so I encourage you to go to our website or go to our YouTube channel to watch some of our previous, previous messages. But to just catch us up, if this is your first time here today, that in Philippians chapter 1, we, we learned how this guy, Paul, this unlikely apostle, was having this incredible ministry, but then loses it all. He gets locked up. Resources are taken away. Ministries are taken away. So he's on a physical lockdown. And he uses that as an opportunity to encourage this unlikely church in Philippi. And while he's in prison, while he's chained up, he writes a book about joy. And so he's encouraging them. And in chapter 1, we learned how when you face difficult circumstances, the solution to difficult circumstances is to have a holy mind. And then in chapter 2, which is where we find ourselves today, we learn that when you face difficult people, the solution is to have a humble mind. And two weeks ago, last week we had our comedian, but two weeks ago we had this message or this idea that Jesus gives us the ultimate picture of humility and how humility is the ultimate key to all relationships. And so now we're going to pick this up in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12, and we're going to walk through this verse by verse, and you're going to see how daily obedience leads to lasting significance. Let's jump into the word together. Therefore, again, the passage right before this was that Jesus, who didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but yet laid his life down, took on the form of a human, took on the form of a servant, was obedient to his father, even to Death on a cross who would be lifted and exalted to every tongue, every tribe, every person. All creation will confess and lift him up one day. Therefore, in light of all of that example and all of that power, we are called then as beloved. He says this, that as you have always obeyed. Okay, that's a good note. (laughs) He's actually affirming, hey, you've you've been doing good. It's, It's like going to the doctor and they take your blood pressure and all that stuff, and they're like, you're looking actually really good. You're like, okay, all right, feeling all right. He says, but he doesn't stay there. He says, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to pause here for a second. That phrase, work out your own salvation. Notice he says, work out out, not work for. That's a very important distinction. He is not saying work for your salvation. 
You must do good things in order to be saved. No, what he's saying is work out what God has already worked in. Venice Beach is known as what? Do you guys know? Muscle Beach. Some of you, Vic, you said that really confidently. I feel like you've gone there and been a part. It shows. It shows. It shows. And so Muscle Beach, right? It's where these crazy muscular guys like Vic go to work out and lift to just, and really they're going to impress at that point, right? Like you're not going to get a great workout there. You're going to grunt and yell. Oh, and wear clothes that were like meant for a few years ago. Okay, so it's a little too tight. And so he goes, so we're not talking that type of workout because for show. Instead, this word, work out your salvation, it's really a, a phrase in Greek. What he's saying is through persistent effort, draw out what is already put in you. So it's almost like God purchased and gave you a mind that is, that is filled with gold. Ironically enough, I was actually having a conversation with Vic and Lauren. I don't mean to be picking on you. You just have me sitting right here, and you're awesome and muscular. So, um, so Vic is no, he's saying they took um, his Boy Scout troop and his kiddos over up in Cave Creek that there's actually a former mining um, areas where you can go and they teach you about how way back in the day um, they had these spots where people would actually mine for gold. And so it's kind of a fun lesson to take the kiddos up there and and scout troops. But picture that for a moment, that God has given you a gold mine, that he is giving you ultimate worth. And now your job is to work out the gold, to work out the truth and the power that's already been placed inside of you. There's effort involved. There is this, this work. There is gold in Scripture. There is wisdom, there is life, there is joy, there is hope. But if this book just sits on your nightstand or on a bookshelf and is never opened, you're not going to experience the, the joy and the purpose and the power that comes from working out your salvation. Now, in order for people to not get, you know, puffed up and, and prideful, he's saying work out your own salvation. How many people do you know in church are trying to work out somebody else's? Think about that. How many people do you know when you listen to a message, you think to yourself, oh, I wish that person would hear it. They need this one, right? That's a challenge here. He says, no, work out your own salvation. What has God given you, poured into you? And do it with fear and trembling. And now notice this next verse. And here's where the supernatural comes in. Verse 13. For it is God who works in both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're going to pause here for a second. The word work in this verse is actually different than the one previous. The word in this verse is the same Greek word where then we pull our English word energy. And so it says, for God is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if you're wondering, how in the world am I able to work out my salvation? I mess up. I make mistakes. I don't even know what I'm doing. How many times do I go through my day and my shirt is misbuttoned? And I'm just like, I I can't do that. I don't know. But he's saying, it's not your strength that's going to work out your salvation, it's actually God's strength. He's going to give you the will and the power and the wisdom. 
Reminds me of when I was teaching my kids to hit a baseball for the first time or a wiffle ball. Or the same thing, if anything that involves a swing, if you think of it like golf or hockey or anything. But in this case, it was like a wiffle ball. And the first time the kid comes up, they just kind of swing and they chop the tee or they almost hit you, right? And so what do you do in those early stages? Okay, you, you come around them and you put your arms around them, right? And you grab the bat and say, okay, hold it right here. And then you take a swing, and then the ball goes a lot farther than when they hit it. And they're like, wow, I did it. This is what God does for us, isn't it? Is that we get up to bat, we're standing right here, and the Holy Spirit comes around and says, no, watch this. See, in his own strength, David was just a shepherd, But with God, he slayed a giant and won a war and became king. Peter, in his own strength, was just a fisherman. But with God, he walked on water. The disciples were just ordinary, everyday guys. But with God, they started the church and changed the world. So we understand that God gives us the energy, the power, the will. It changes everything. This is a foreshadow to chapter 4 in the same book. One of the most common quoted verses for athletes is 4.13. I can do all things through God who strengthens me, Right? And so through Christ, he gives us the ability, he gives us the power to swing, to act out, to work out our own salvation. But here's the deal, though. It takes work. Mining takes work. Reading takes work. Obeying, loving, serving. Relationships take work. You could almost put in this passage and still apply it, work out your marriage. You can't just make a decree on day one and say, well, we're legally married, done. No, you have to work out that relationship. It takes effort. It takes service. It takes sacrifice. Okay, but John, sacrifice is hard. Okay, but notice what, I love Paul, because Paul knows what we think when we read things, right? Because you read that like, ah, that's good, but that seems hard. Notice the very next verse. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Some of you parents in the room just need to memorize this verse to give to your children next time at home. Or give to them now. I don't know if they're complaining. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. It's about our attitude. Now it's back on us. Right? How much of it is God? How much of it is us? Yes. Is that confusing? Yes, but that's how God gives it to us because he gives us the opportunity and the ability and the, and the will to love, but yet it's only through him. He gives us the grace to even do that. And so there's this balance, there's this tension, and it's beautiful, and it's hard to understand, and it's hard to explain, but God is in control, God saves, and he wants what's best for you, and so he's saying, I want you to work out what I've worked in. I've done the heavy lifting, I've done the difficult things, and so I want you now to live that out, to walk that out. 
well, why are we going to do this anyway? Next verse says, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That doesn't apply to today, right? That's before. Oh, wait, no, 2,000 years later, we still live in a twisted generation. It says, among whom then you will shine as lights in the world. Why, why are we called to work out our salvation? To shine. Because a dark world needs light. Why are we bringing lunch to a school or serving downtown in the homeless or in challenging you or living out to have barbecues in your home or to start ministries for, for moms or Bible studies at workplaces? Because our dark world needs light. Imagine walking around. Imagine if this was a flashlight and you're in a dark room and everyone's saying, I can't see. I can't see. And you're sitting here with a flashlight, but it's not on. Man, I wish there was something I could do. This is tough. John, you're holding a flashlight. Okay, so turn it on. How you live turns it on. And so, well, how do you do it? What is that? How do we hang on to it? What is the flashlight? I love this. Paul goes, let me tell you what the flashlight is. Verse 16. He goes in and says this, holding fast to the word of life. The word is the flashlight. In the Psalms, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And the word is about Jesus, who's called the light of the world. And then he tells us to go and be a city on a hill or be a light to the world. In other words, we work out our salvation. You have the flashlight. You have the word. So hang on to it so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And then verse 17, he says, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, he's saying, even if I'm killed. Remember, he's in prison. He says, even if I am poured out like a drink offering upon sacrificial, um, a sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. And then you see this last verse here, verse 18. And it says, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice. He's not talking about do this and you'll be wealthy. Do this and all your problems will go away. He's saying, even if I die here in this prison... I'm going to rejoice because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so I'm going to work out what God has worked in because if you choose to obey daily, that daily obedience will lead to lasting significance. Daily sacrifice in your marriage or in your dating relationship is going to lead to lasting impact. Daily investment in your kids is going to lead to lasting impact as they become adults. Daily reading of his word will transform your mind. And when you change how you think, you change how you live. It's the little things. It's working out what God has worked in. Well, how do we do that? Let me give you just three practical things to do today to get started in having that spiritual workout, to work out what God has worked in, to allow God to turn your simple melody into a masterpiece. And so three things I want you to do to, today is number one, 
is get personal. Get personal. Be honest. Paul wrote, work out your own salvation. What are the issues in your life, the struggles, the battles? Are you willing to be vulnerable enough to be honest with yourself? Okay, God, here's where I'm at. I can't do this on my own. Because you, you give what you have, right? God's going to take that and multiply. It's not your job to show off. It's your job to show up. Because when you show up, God shows off. But I've found in church world, when you show off, God doesn't always show up. <laughs> so are you willing to show up? Are you willing to get personal? Number two, go public. Go public. That's what he's saying here. He's saying live out, work out, shine your light. God has called you to be great, and you can do that with how you live. So go public. One of the best ways you can go public is that if you commit your life to Jesus, is to decide to get baptized. Baptism is a public display of an inward belief. It's that declaration that God is for you and that I am for God and that I am claiming Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if you want to do that, we have a chance just next week. And we'd love for you to take that statement of faith, to go public with your faith, to declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then third, you have to be persistent. You know, mature Christians are not made in a day. They're made daily. Great marriages are not made in a day. They're made daily. Strong faith is not made in a day. It's made daily. Believing, confessing, obeying, serving, loving. And when you get tired, think to yourself, okay, am I doing this in my strength or God's strength? In closing, I want to share this with you. I think the world is a lot like the checkout person at the door at Costco. Now, that's weird, but just follow me for a second. You know what I'm talking about? That seems like a weird job to have, doesn't it? Like, I get the walking in. Okay, do you, are, you, are you allowed to come in? Are you allowed to come in? I, one time I forgot my Costco card, and so I just held up a card real quick and walked in, and, just, and they were like, Cool. I was like, do you even check? Like, come on. But then I was glad I still got in. Anyway. Um, and so, uh, no, but not that guy. The one at the other door. The, the security on the way out. And, they're, and now they go, what do they do? All right, can I see your receipt? What they are trying to do at the door is they want to make sure what's in your cart matches what's paid for. They look at the receipt. Okay, this was bought, is this in the cart? This was bought, and this was in the cart. Matches up? Okay, you're good to go. I think the world is looking at us and looking at Christians, and they want to know, 
is what's in your cart match what's already been paid for. I see Jesus paid for forgiveness, but you got bitterness in your cart. I see Jesus paid for truth, but you got lies. I see Jesus paid for joy. I don't, I don't see joy in here. I see Jesus paid for freedom. I don't see that in there. What if we lived in a way where we lived for what Jesus died for? And we lived out and worked out what God worked in. Because if you do that, I'm telling you, the master musician will sit down next to you and will turn your simple melody into a masterpiece. Because daily obedience leads to lasting significance. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. God, thank you for giving us the example of what it means to live humbly. So help us to work out our salvation, not work for, because you already did that. Let us live in a way that shines your light to the world that needs it. So that when they check our cart, they see what's in our cart matches what you already paid for. Help us live in light of your truth. God, we give our lives to you today. In your son's name we pray, amen.